For a gift that goes beyond the holidays, don't miss the Xfinity Beyond Black Friday event. Ask how to get $150 back on a package with the ultimate Wi-Fi and Xfinity X1. Your all-in-one entertainment experience. Simple, easy, awesome. Click, call, or visit us today. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. From the host of the Geeky Retro Nerd Show podcast... The only podcast to be named by Mr. Mark Hamill himself. This is Journals of the Jedi, a Star Wars podcast. Hello, hiya, how are you doing? Welcome to Journals of the Jedi. My name is Adam and I am honoured by your presence. In this episode, another good one lined up for you. At least I hope you think it's a good it's a good episode. It's easy for me to say, isn't it? Um, no, cracking episode for you. I'm continuing the year by year theme uh, where I look at each year in the history of Star Wars. But before I get waist deep in Star Wars, I just want to give a quick mention to my other podcast. Yes, I do host another podcast called Geeky Retro Nerds. Check it out. Have a listen. Over on there, I am incredibly honoured to have a fantastic show sponsor in the shape of TruffleShuffle.com. And you've probably heard of them. They're a very popular retro retailer. And they sell cool, funky retro clothing with all your favourite movies and stuff on them. Um, I've bought from them loads of times in the past. My wife gets her stuff on my birthday and Christmas, Back to the Future, Star Wars, all that jazz. And they're really, really great. They're fantastic. Also sell, um, you know, retro gifts like uh, cups and things like that. And I'm happy to say they're going to sponsor this show as well. So, so what (laughs) is what you're saying to me? So what? Well, what that means for you is that you get in on the action as well. I've got a I've got a personal discount code that listeners of Geeky Retro Nerds show and this show can use. And it is GRNS15, GRNS15. And if you type that into the discount code bit at truffleshuffle.com, you will get 15% off a spend of £25 or more. Can't be bad. Anyway, back to this episode. So yeah, year by year. Um, I hope you're enjoying it. So far, I've done 1974 and 1975. Um, This episode, obviously, by process of elimination, is 1976. And uh, as usual, I'm using a fantastic book, Star Wars Year by Year, A Visual History. And and it's an excellent book. I've mentioned it in the last two shows. It's fantastic. And anything you want to know about Star Wars is in this book. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, but 1976, we are now one year away from the debut of the greatest uh, franchise, movie franchise of all time, in my humble opinion. But there is loads going on in 1976, an absolute ton. But first of all, hopefully you know the drill by now. Let's have a look at the top grossing movies from 1976. <laughs>
So, some huge, huge films in 1976. Let's see which the top grossing ones were. And this is, as usual, it's the top grossing movies in the US. So at number 10, we've got Midway by Universal. That grossed just over $43 million. The Enforcer at number 9 by Warner Brothers grossed just over $46 million. Um, in at number 8 is one of my favourite movies that features two of my most favourite actors of all time. The movie is Silver Streak. Have you seen that movie? It's absolutely bloody brilliant, and it's got Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor in. It is hilarious. Fantastic movie. Um, that grossed uh, just over $51 million. At number seven is King Kong at uh, just over $52 million. Number six, In Search of Noah's Ark. Uh, $55 million. Number five, The Omen by 20th Century Fox. Uh, nearly $61 million. At number four, All the President's Men, which grossed just over $70 million. And at number three, A Star is Born at $80 uh, million. And of course, we've, we've just had another version of that as well, haven't we, with Lady Gaga? Um, so that's at number three. At number two is something called Two Fly. And the studio that produced this is the National Air and Space Museum. Now, I, I'd never heard of this before. Um, and I'm assuming some of you may not have heard of this as well. Um, it's uh, Two Fly is a 1976 documentary film shot in the IMAX format. And it follows the history of flight from the first hot air balloons in the 19th century to 20th century manned Space missions. So the reason I'm expanding a little bit on this documentary is because Two Fly was the highest grossing documentary of all time, right up until the release of Fahrenheit 9-11 in 2004. So there you go. Um, and the number one movie of 1976 was, can you guess? Have a think. I'll tell you later on in the show. Round about this time, I like to count down the top 10 selling singles from this year. And this episode is no different. Here we go. So at number 10, December 1963 by The Four Seasons. Nine, The Russos, Demi Russos. Eight, I Love to Love, But My Baby Loves to Dance, Tina Charles. Seven, Fernando, Abba. Six, If You Leave Me Now, Chicago. Five, a little bit more, Dr. Hook. Four, Dancing Queen, Abba. Three, Mississippi, Pussycat. Two, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, Elton John and Kiki D. And number one was Save Your Kisses For Me, Brotherhood of Man. So there you go, we've had the top grossing movies in the US, the top selling singles in the UK. Let's talk Star Wars. So what's going on in 1976 with regards to Star Wars? So I'm, I'm sure you can imagine there's a hell of a lot going on. So where do I start? Let's start at the beginning, Adam. Okay, so um, the, the year-by-year year 1976 chapter in this book starts by saying because 20th Century Fox had almost no faith in Star Wars, they had, you know, next to zero faith, um, it dragged on contract discussions, but nevertheless... George Lucas negotiated to secure certain rights to sequels, licensing, and merchandising for The Star Wars. And obviously now we know that that was an absolute masterstroke on George Lucas's behalf. And, and that kind of thing was unheard of at the time. 
During the year, Lucas changes his movie's title to Star Wars, and Luke Starkiller becomes Luke Skywalker. Lucas also endures the most difficult shoot of his career thus far. And there's a quote here from George Lucas. And it's a quote from after filming on location in Tunisia, which I'll mention in a minute. And the quote is, I was compromising right and left just to get things semi-done. I was desperately unhappy. So that quote in itself is a little clue, isn't it, as to why he went back all those years later in the mid-90s and tweaked them shall we say and created the special editions he went back he wasn't a hundred and it, it, you know it's no secret he wasn't a hundred percent happy with how things went with the original trilogy and that's why he went back and tweaked them a little bit whether you agree with it or not that's what he did but anyway right january january of 1976 uh, george lucas completed the fourth draft um, and it's titled The Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as taken from the Journal of the Wills. And the draft begins with a fade-in and the intro a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. An incredible adventure took place. There's a little bit extra on at, the, at that point. Also, the desert planet previously known as Utapau is now Tatooine. And Ben Kenobi does not die when he confronts Darth Vader on the Death Star and Lucas continues working on the script after filming commences. So when did the filming commence in 1976? Well, it commenced in March of that year, March the 22nd, and principal filming for The Star Wars begins, of course, famously in Tunisia. The bottom portion of a Jawa sand crawler has already been constructed on the salt flats of Nefta and awaits the cast and crew. And, and in the film, it looks brilliant, doesn't it? The um, Jawa sand crawler. It, it, it's, it's like nothing we've ever seen before at that point. And it's, it's an incredible um, an, an incredible, pe incredible piece of uh, kit, isn't it? It, it looks outstanding. Um, and there's a picture in the book which sort of spoils the illusion a little bit because obviously it's only the bottom half and then above the top half um, it, it's all scaffolding and things but it's a cracking photograph um, despite malfunctions with the remote controlled R2-D2 an incredibly uncomfortable C-3PO costume for Anthony Daniels and improvised pyrotechnics to blow up a red droid's head the first scene is shot so it's well documented isn't it that that first scene the, the scene on Tatooine, it was, was notoriously difficult to shoot. You know, you've got um, Kenny Baker stuck inside a tin can in the blazing sun. Same with Anthony Daniels. He's in this um, metal suit. You know, I, I'd imagine it was extremely claustrophobic and uncomfortable and sweaty. Um, and, and everything's going wrong. So that that is the beginning of filming for Star Wars in March uh, March 22nd, 1976. And on March the 26th, um, during the height of filming, The Star Wars, um, Tunisia is hit with its first winter rainstorm in 50 years. So can you believe it? You go to film scenes for a desert planet, Tatooine, in somewhere where you think you're not going to get troubled by something like rain, and they have their first winter rainstorm in 50 years. I bet they were all, particularly George Lucas, I bet he was feeling a bit cursed at this point, <laughs> poor George. Um, 
Also in uh, March, Lucas decides that the story will be more dramatic if Ben Kenobi dies. So I said before, um, at the start of the year, he completed the fourth draft in which Ben Kenobi does not die. But obviously at this point in the film, and he's changed his mind. Um, so he decides the story will be more dramatic if Ben Kenobi dies, sacrificing himself on the Death Star so that his allies can escape from Darth Vader. Now, Lucas tells Alec Guinness of that decision and also explains how Kenobi will disappear and survive as a spirit who can communicate with Luke. And Lucas said that um, Alec Guinness was initially shocked and he said, you mean I get killed, but I don't have a death scene. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? He must have been gutted, absolutely gutted. And like scratching his head thinking, what, what is going on here? What, what, what am I involved in? Guinness soon admits to a journalist that he is pretty much lost by his requirements for the picture, but adds, I simply trust the director. And I bet that's true of everybody, cast and crew, on the set of Star Wars at this point in 1976. You know, you know you've got to remember that there was, really there was nothing seen like this before. It, it's incredible and fantastic. You know, the, the props and the staging and the characters and the costumes. I dare say everybody was just putting their faith in George Lucas. And and good job that they did, I see. Um, April of 1976 was Alec Guinness's birthday. And the cast and crew have a little bit of a celebration while on location in Jerba. Which uh, doubled as Moss Eisley Spaceport. And then when you turn the page in the year by year book, there's a couple of drawings here. And it's a costume sketch for Ben Kenobi by John Mollo. And he drew this in January of 1976. And there's also a costume sketch for Rebel Rangers, as they're called here. Also by John Mollo on January the 12th, 1976. And they're really cool drawings. I mean, they're very, they're very basic. Um, but you, you definitely get the idea of what they're, what they're trying to achieve and what they're going for. So in April 1976, um, some Tatooine scenes, and it was suggested that Luke should be introduced before the sale of the droids. So obviously the first time we see Luke uh, on Tatooine is when the Jawas are selling the droids to his uh, uncle. But it was believed um, or suggested that Luke should be seen before this. So Lucas films scenes of Luke observing a space battle. Luke then travels to Anchor Head so he can report his sighting to the local mechanic fixer and his girlfriend Cammy. And Luke also meets his best friend Biggs Dartlighter, a cadet from the Space Academy. The Anchor Head scenes are filmed in Jerba on April the 4th, but of course, as we know, they were cut from the final film. Uh, by April the 12th, production has moved to AMI Studios a.k.a. Elstree Studios, in England, where Lucasfilm's Han Solo meeting Jabba the Hutt at the Moss Eisley Spaceport. Um, another scene, of course, that was cut, but then ultimately put back in when George Lucas went back and revisited the movies and did the special editions. So what else was going on in 1976? Let's have a look. Incidentally, in July of 1976, the first Apple computer came out. Founded three months earlier by Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak and Ronald Wayne, the Apple computer sells its first product, the Apple 
one computer kit and it look, there's a picture of it here in the book and it looks ancient it's made out of wood <laughs> it's got like a tiny little telly attached to it um the apple one costs 666 dollars and 66 cents does not include a keyboard monitor or case so there you go a bit of history there first apple computer in july also in july while star wars is still filming um in england um, Charles Lippincott, who is a Star Wars publicist, he presents a promotional slideshow for the movie at Hyatt House Hotel at Los Angeles Westacon. Um, also in July, having negotiated a deal with Marvel Comics to adapt Star Wars as a comic book series, on July the 21st to the 25th, Charles Lippincott and his creative team attend the San Diego Comic Book Convention at the El Cortez Hotel and Lucas has personally selected editor-writer Roy Thomas and artist Howard Chaikin for the adaptation. Um, also in July, um, last day of shooting, July the 23rd, the second unit shooting for Star Wars is completed at AMI Studios, but some additional scenes still remain to be shot in the US and still in July, after leaving England, Lucas stops in Mobile, Alabama to visit Spielberg on the set of Close Encounters of the Third Kind and shows him stills from Star Wars. Spielberg is amazed by the stills, but Lucas seems disappointed with everything about the movie. And that's definitely the vibe I get, you know, when I read about Star Wars and George Lucas. And as I, you know, as I said a few uh, minutes ago, that George Lucas always seems downbeat about the production of Star Wars and you just get the vibe that it just it wasn't turning out the way he wanted it to turn out. So moving into August of 1976, um, August the 1st, Lucas returns to ILM to discover that they'd spent half their budget and had only one shot in the can. Oops. <laughs> Uh, 360 effects shots remain and they have only eight months left flying back from ilm lucas experiences severe chest pains and he proceeds to a hospital after landing in the bay area where he stays overnight he's discharged the next day after doctors determine he had not been having a heart attack but you know it's got to be stressful hasn't it let alone you know at the time creating this any movie um, you know, I get stressed out just going to my job. <laughs> uh, it's got it's got to be stressful times, hasn't it? But he was okay, thankfully. September then, Worldcon in September the second to the sixth. So they're starting to promote the movie, and advanced promotion continues with a display of Star Wars art and props at the World Science Fiction Convention, aka Worldcon, in Kansas City. Now. You know, you might you might sort of have an awareness that the filming for this movie was going on, but when you start seeing this promotional material, I mean, there's there's displays here of Darth Vader, C three PO, and R two D two, and when you're looking at these, you must be thinking, what what kind of movie are they making here? And as a child, you've just it's got it must have been so exciting. You know, I wasn't born in 1976. I wasn't born until 1980, but it must have been so exciting to see all this. Um, so I mentioned before about the special effects in ILM, and ILM was really breaking new ground, weren't they, at that time. Again, nothing like this had been seen before, and to achieve what George Lucas wanted to achieve, he had to set up his own company to create the effects. So ILM was under increasing pressure to create the special effects to schedule, 
After a slow, disorganised and difficult start, as I mentioned before, the team gains experience and puts its newly acquired technical knowledge to effective use, even developing pioneering techniques of its own, such as mastering motion control photography with the Dijkstraflex. Um, helped out by several external effects houses, not to mention the number of employees working 16-hour shifts and sleeping on site, ILA manages to complete most of the movie's effects in time. And, and what a job they did, didn't they? Uh, imagine as a kid, or an adult even back then, watching this movie and just, you know, looking on in awe at what they've achieved here. And there's some photographs in the book here, and it looks incredible, you know, with the models and they're blowing things up in front of a blue screen. It's just incredible. Really exciting stuff. So October, um, in <laughs> just to just to uh, digress a little bit, um, in October, October the 9th, a new video cassette system manufactured by JVC is released. VHS originally stands for Vertical Helical Scan, but becomes Video Home System. The JVC HR3300 is priced at $1,400. Wow, that's in October <laughs> 1976. The VHS rises against the Betamax. Also in October, the first theatrical um, teaser poster, if you like, is released. And it's quite simple. It's a, it's a huge black uh, poster with right, white text that says, Coming to your galaxy this summer, Star Wars. And it's interesting because um, it's it's got the original Star Wars logo on it, which features a W with vertical ascenders. So it looks um, different to what we know as it now. ILM concept artist George Johnston subsequently redesigns the logo to make it work better for the planned shot of the film's opening credits. So it's not a million miles away from what we know it as now. It's just the W looks a bit... It looks like an upside-down M rather than a W. Um, what else? Um, one of Ralph McQuarrie's designs for a Star Wars logo is utilised on, um, uh, you know, the, the patches that they put on their coats for crew members. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and in November the 12th, Del Rey publishes the Star Wars novelization. So it's strange, isn't it? You wouldn't get that now where the the novelization is is released well, well in advance of the film coming out. The book's cover reveals that Ralph McQuarrie continues to modify Vader's appearance. In a 2004 interview for Star Wars Insider, number 76, McQuarrie recalls, George looked at the helmet and said it never looked better. And although the book is credited George Lucas, and you, you probably already know this, it is in fact ghostwritten by Alan Dean Foster, who works from various drafts of Lucas's screenplay. Foster had previously written the novelization for John Carpenter's and Dan O'Bannon's Dark Star and several Star Trek novels. And the novel identifies the Emperor as Palpatine, Darth Vader as a Sith Lord, and includes Luke witnessing the opening sequence's space battle and his meeting with Biggs on Tatooine. And also Han Solo's meeting with Jabba the Hutt. And Foster's contract is a two-book deal. So there you go. It gives away it gives away a lot before the film's even, you know, before we're even in the year of the movie's release.
So there you go, that was 1976 in the world of Star Wars. I'm just going to run through some world events as usual before finishing the episode. So in 1976, Syrian troops enter Lebanon. The CN Tower opens in Toronto. Viking 1 lands on Mars. Viking 2 lands on Mars. And the chimpanzee becomes a threatened species. And did you get the number one movie? Did you get it right? Number one movie of 1976 was, of course, the incredible Rocky. So thanks for listening. Tune in to the next episode, which will, of course, be Just in time for the holidays, select Craftsman tools are now available at Napa. Celebrate with a Craftsman 20-volt cordless impact wrench kit for just $149.99. It's the perfect gift for everyone in your list, even you. So get great savings on select Craftsman tools, now available at your local Napa store. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Offer ends 12 31 Napa know-how. Right now, a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil and a platinum filter is just $23.98. That's a great deal for a great oil, which is another reason why this is the most wonderful time of the year. That's Napa full synthetic oil and a platinum filter for $23.98. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. While supplies last. Offer ends 12-15-19.